Hey guys, once again welcome back to Demigod Wars and I hope you're all doing well and fine and today I will do the 10th chapter of this book 1 and if you want to know any questions regarding myself or regarding the podcast you can always put down your question in the Q&A section and I will answer your questions in the next episodes. So without any more delays let's get started today with the 10th chapter of book 1. Chapter 10 I ruined a perfectly good bus. It didn't take me long to pack. I decided to leave the monitor horn and my cape on, which left me only an extra change of clothes and a toothbrush to stuff in a backpack Rover had found for me. The camp store loaned me $100 in mortal money and 20 golden drachmas. These coins are as big as Girl Scout cookies and had images of various Greek gods stamped on one side and the Empire State Building on the other. The ancient mortal drachmas had been sulfur, Chiron told us, but Olympians never used less than pure gold. Chiron said coins must come in handy for non-mortal transactions, whatever that meant. He gave Annabeth and me each a canteen of nectar and a Ziploc bag of full of ambrosia squares to be used only in emergencies if we were seriously hurt. It was God food, Chiron reminded us. It would cure us of almost any injury, but it was lethal to mortals. Too much of it would make a half-blood very, very feverish, and overdose would burn, burn us up, literally. Annabeth was bringing her magic Yankees cap, which she told me she had a 12th birthday present from her mom. She carried a book on famous classical architecture written in ancient Greek to read when she got bored, and a long bronze knife. hidden in a shirt sleeve i was pretty sure that the knife would get us busted the first time we went through a mortal detect metal detector rover wore his fake feet and his pants to pass as human he wore a green rasta style cap because when it rained his curly hair flattened and you could just see the tips of his horns his bright orange backpack was full of scrap metal and apples to snack on in his pocket was a set of reed pipes his daddy goat had carved for him even though he only knew two songs mozart's piano concert number no. 12 and hilary duff's so yesterday both of which sounded pretty bad on reed pipes We waved goodbye to the other campers, took one last look at the strawberry fields, the ocean, and the big house, then hiked up Half-Blood Hill to the tall pine tree that used to be Talia, daughter of Zeus. Chiron was waiting for us in his wheelchair. Next to him stood the surfer dude I had seen when I was recovering from in the sick room. According to Grover, the guy was the camp's head of security. He supposedly had eyes all over his body so he could never be surprised. Today though he was wearing a chauffeur's uniform so I could only see the extra peepers on his hands, face and neck. This is Argus, Shiran told me. He will drive you into the city and er well, keep an eye on things. I heard footsteps behind me. Leo came running up the hill carrying a pair of basketball shoes. "Hey," he panted. "Glad I caught you." And Bella blushed. The wish you always said when Luke was around. Just wanted to say good luck, Luke told me, and I thought um maybe you could use these. He handed me the sneakers which looked pretty normal. They even smelled kind of normal. Luke said, "Manya, wing white bird's wings sprouted out of the heels, startling me so much I dropped them. The shoes flapped around on the ground until the wings folded up and disappeared." "Awesome," Rava said. Luke smiled. Those served me well when I was on my quest. Gift from dad. Of course I don't use them much these days. 
His expression turned sad. I didn't know what to say. It was cool enough that Luke had gone to say goodbye. I'd been afraid he might resent me for getting so much attention the last few days. But here he was giving me a magic gift. It made me blush almost as much as Annabeth. Hey man, I said, thanks. Listen, Percy, Luke looked uncomfortable. A lot of hopes are riding on you, so just kill some monsters for me, okay? We shook hands. Luke patted Grover's head between his horns, then gave a goodbye hug to Annabeth, which looked, who looked like she might pass out. After Luke was gone, I told her, You're hyperventilating. I'm not. You let him capture the flag instead of you, didn't you? Oh, why do I want to go anywhere with you, Percy? He stomped down the other side of the hill where a white SUV waited on the shoulder of the road. Arcus followed, jingling his car keys. I picked up the flying shoes and a sudden bad feeling came to me. I looked at Chiron. I won't be able to use these, will I? He shook his head. Luke meant well, Percy, but taken to the air, that would not be wise for you. I nodded, disappointed, but, I didn't go- but then I got an idea. Hey, Grover, you want the magic item? His eyes lit up. Me? Pretty soon we'd laced the sneakers over his fake feet and the world's first flying goat wife was ready for launch. Maya, he shouted. He got off the ground okay but then fell over sideways to his backpack dragged through the grass. The winged shoes kept bucking up and down like tiny broncos. Practice, Sharon called after him. You just need practice. Aha. Grover went flying sideways down the hill like the possessed land mo- lawnmower heading toward the van. Before I could follow, Sharon cut my arm. I should have trained you better, Percy, he said. If only I had more time. Hercules, Jason, they all got more training. That's okay. I just wish I stopped myself because I was about to sound like a brat. I was wishing my dad had given me a cool magic item to help me on the quest, something as good as Luke's flying shoes on Anvet's invisible cap. What am I thinking? Sharon cried. I can't let you get away without this. He pulled a pen from his coat pocket and handed it to me. It was an ordinary disposable ballpoint, black ink, removable cap. Probably cost 30 cents. Gee, I said, thanks. Percy, that's a gift from a father. I've kept it for years, not knowing you were who I was waiting for. But the professor is clear to me now. You were the one. I remember the field trip to the Metropolitan Museum of Art when I vaporized Mrs. Dodds. Sharon had thrown me a pen that turned into a sword. Could this be? I took off the cap, and the pen grew longer and longer and heavier in my hand. In half a second, I held a shimmering bronze sword with a double-edged blade, a leather-wrapped grip, and a flat hilt riveted with gold studs. It was the first weapon that actually felt balanced in my hand. The sword has a long and tragic history that we need not go into, Sharon told me. Its name is Anaclusmos. Red tide, I translated, surprised the ancient Greek came so easily. Use it only for emergencies, Sharon said, and only against mortals. Monsters. No hero should harm mortals unless absolutely necessary, of course, but this sword wouldn't harm them in any case. I looked at the wickedly sharp blade. What do you mean it wouldn't harm mortals? How could it not? The sword is celestial bronze, forget by forged by the Cyclopses, tempered in the heat of Mount Etna, cooled in the river Lethe. It's deadly to monsters, to any creature from the underworld, provided they don't kill you first. 
but the blade will pass through mortals like an illusion. They simply are not important enough for the blade to kill, and I should warn you. As a demigod, you can be killed by either celestial or normal weapons. You are twice as vulnerable. Good to know. Now recap the pen. I touched the pen cap to the sword tip and instantly ripped it shrank to a ballpoint pen again. I tucked it in my pocket a little nervous because I was famous for losing pens at school. You can't, Shiran said. Can't what? Lose the pen, he said. It is enchanted. It will always reappear in a pocket. Try it. I was wary, but I threw the pen as far as I could down the hill and watched it disappear in the grass. It may take a few moments, Shiran told me. Now, check your pocket. Sure enough, the pen was there. Oh, that's extremely cool, I admitted. But what if a mortal sees me pulling out a sword? Shiran smiled. Mist is a powerful thing, Percy. Mist? Yes. Read the Iliad. It's full of references of this, to the staff. Whenever divine or monstrous elements mix with the mortal world, they generate mist, which obscures the vision of humans. You will see things just as they are, being a half-blood, but humans will interrupt things quite differently. Remarkably, really, the lens of which to which humans will go to fit things into their vision of reality. I put Riptide back in my pocket. For the first time, the quest felt real. I was actually leaving Half-Blood Hill. I was heading west with no adult supervision, no backup plan, not even a cell phone. Shiran said cell phones were traceable by monsters. If we used one, it would be dangerous than setting up a flare. I had no weapon stronger than a sword to fight off monsters and reach the land of the dead. Shiran, I said. When you say the gods are immortal, I mean, there was a time before them, right? Four ages before them, actually. The time of the Titus was the fourth age, sometimes called the Golden Age, which is definitely a misnomer. This is the time of Western civilization, and the rule of Zeus is the fifth age. So what was it like? Before the gods? Shion burst his lips. Even I am not old enough to remember that child, but I know it was a time of darkness and savagery for mortals. Kronos, the lord of the titans, called his reign the Golden Age because men lived innocent and free of all knowledge. But that was a mere propaganda. The titan king cared nothing for your kind except as appetizers or a source of cheap entertainment. It was only in the early reign of Lord Zeus when Prometheus, the god titan, brought fire to mankind that your species began to progress and when then Prometheus was branded a radical thinker. Zeus punished him severely as you may recall. Of course, eventually the gods warmed to humans and western civilization was born. But the gods can't die right now, right? I mean, as long as western civilization is alive, they are alive. So even if I failed, nothing could happen so bad it would mess everything up, right? Shiran gave me a melancholy smile. No one knows how long the age of the West will last, Percy. The gods are immortal, yes, but then so will the titans. They still exist, locked away in their various prisons, forced to endure endless pain and punishment, reduced in power, but still very much alive. May the fates forbid that the gods should ever suffer such a doom or that we should ever return to the darkness and chaos of the past. All we can do, child, is follow our destiny. Our destiny, assuming we know what that is? Relax, Shiran said. Keep a clear head and remember you may be about to prevent the biggest war in human history. Relax, I said. I'm very relaxed. When I got to the bottom of the hill, I looked back. Under the pine tree that used to be Thalia, daughter of Zeus, Shiran was now standing in full horseman form, 
holding his bow high in salute. Just your typical summer camp center by your typical center. Argus drove us out of the countryside into western Long Island. It felt weird to be on a highway again, Annabeth and Grover sitting next to me as if we were normal ca- carpoolers. After two weeks at Camp Half-Blood, the real world seemed like a fantasy. I found myself staring at every McDonald's, every kid in the back of his parents' car, every billboard and shopping mall. So far, so good, I told Annabeth. Ten miles and not a single monster. She gave me an irritated look. It's bad luck to talk that way, see with rain. Remind me again, why do you hate me so much? I don't hate you. Could have fooled me. She folded her cap of invisibility. Look, you're just not supposed to get along, okay? Our parents are rivals. Why? She said. Why, I said. She sighed. How many reasons do you want? One time, my mom caught beside him with his girlfriend in Athena's temple, which is hugely disrespectful. Another time, Athena and Poseidon competed to be the patron god for the city of Athens. Your dad created some stupid salt water spring for his gift. My mom created the olive tree. The people saw that her gift was better, so they named the city after her. They must really like olives. Oh, forget it. Now, if she reinvented pizza, that I could understand. I said, forget it. In the front seat, Arcus smiled. He didn't say anything, but one blue eye on the back of his neck winked at me. Traffic slowed us down in Queens. By the time we got into Manhattan, it was sunset and starting to rain. Argus dropped us at the Greyhound station on the Upper East Side, not far from my mom and Gibbs' apartment. Tap taped to a mailbox with a soggy flyer with my picture on it. Have you seen this boy? The caption read. I ripped it down before Annabeth and Grover could notice. Argus unloaded our bags, made sure we got our bus tickets, then drove away the eye on the back of his hand, opening to watch us as we pulled out of the parking lot. I thought about how close I was to my old apartment. On a normal day, my mom would be back from the candy store by now. Smelly Gabe was probably up there right, right now, playing poker, not even missing her. Robert shouldered his backpack. He gazed down the street in the direction I was looking. He wanted to know why she married him, Percy? I stared at him. Were you reading my mind or something? Just your emotions, he shrugged. Guess I forgot to tell you, scientists can do that. You were thinking about your mom and your stepdad, right? I noticed and wondered, and nodded. What else Gravel might have forgotten to tell me? Your mom married Gabe for you, Gravel told me. You call him smelly, but I have got no idea why. The guy has this aura, <laughs> yuck. I can smell him from here. I can smell traces of him on you, and you haven't been near him for a week. Thanks, I said, where's the nearest shower? You should be grateful, Percy. Your stepfather smells so repulsive, human. Repulsively human, he could match the presence of any demigod. As soon as I took a whiff inside the Camaro, I knew. Gabe has been covering your scent for years. If you hadn't lived with him every summer, you probably would have been found by monsters a long time ago. Your mother's, your mom stayed with him to protect you. She was a smart lady. She must have loved you a lot to put up with that guy, if that makes you feel any better. It didn't. But I forced myself not to show it. I'll see her again, I thought. She isn't gone. I wondered if Grover could still read my emotions, mixed up as they were. I was glad he and Annabeth were with me, but I felt guilty that I hadn't been straight with them. I hadn't told them the real reason I had said yes to this crazy quest. The truth was, I didn't care about retrieving Zeus's lightning bolt or saving the world or even helping my father out of trouble. The more I thought about it, I resented Poseidon 
for never visiting me, never helping my mom, never even sending a lousy child support check. He'd only claimed me because he needed a job done. All I cared about was my mom. Hades had taken her unfairly and Hades was going to give her back. You will be betrayed by one who calls you a friend, the oracle whispered in my mind. He will fail to save what matters most in the end. Shut up, I told it. The rain kept coming down. We got restless waiting for the bus and decided to play some hacky sack with one of Grower's apples. Anbel was unbelievable. Unbelievable. She could bounce the apple off her knee, her elbow, her shoulder, whatever. I wasn't too bad myself. The game ended when I tossed the apple towards Grover and it got too close to his mouth. In one mega goat bite, and hacky sack disappeared, core, stem and all. Grover blushed. He tried to apologize, but Annabeth and I were too busy cracking up. Finally, the bus came. As we stood in line to board, Grover started looking around, sniffing the air like he smelled his favorite school cafeteria delicacy, and he clad us. What is it? I asked. I don't know, he said tensely. Maybe it's nothing. But I could tell it wasn't nothing. I started looking over my shoulder too. I was relieved when we finally got on board and found seats together in the back of the bus. We stored our backpacks. Annabeth kept slapping her Yankees cap nervously against her thigh. As the last passengers got on, Annabeth clamped her hand on, onto my knee. Percy. An old lady had just boarded the bus. She wore a crumpled velvet dress, lace gloves and a shapeless orange knit hat that shadowed her face and carried a big fleecy purse. When she tilted her head up, her black eyes glittered and my heart skipped a beat. It was Mrs. Dodds, older, more withered, but definitely the same evil face. I scrunched down in my seat. Behind her came two more old ladies, one in a green hat, one in a purple. Otherwise, they looked exactly like Mrs. Dodds, same gnarled hands, pleasly handbags, wrinkled velvet dresses. Triplet demon grandmothers. They sat in the front row right behind the driver. The two on the aisle crossed their legs over the walkway, making an X. It was a casual enough, but it sent a clear message. Nobody leaves. The bus pulled out of the station and we headed through the slick streets of Manhattan. She didn't stay that long, I said, trying to keep my voice from quivering. I thought you said they could be dispelled for a lifetime. I said, if you are lucky, Anvid said, you're obviously not. All three of them, Grover Wentwood, die models. It's okay, Ambeth said, obviously thinking hard. The theory is the three worst monsters from the underworld. No problem, no problem. We'll just slip out the windows. They don't open, Grover moaned. A back exit, she suggested. There wasn't one. Even if there had been, it wouldn't have helped. By that time, we were on 9th Avenue heading for the Lincoln Tunnel. They won't attack us with witnesses around, I said. Will they? Mortals don't have good eyes, Annabeth whispered and reminded me. Their brains can only process what they see through the mist. They'll see three old ladies killing us, won't they? She thought about it. Hard to say, but we can't count mortals for help. Maybe an engine sexist in the roof. They hit the Lincoln Tunnel and the bus went dark except for the running lights down the aisle. It was eerily quiet without the sound of the rain. Mrs. Dodds got up. In a flat voice as if she'd rehearsed it, she announced to the whole bus. I need to use the restroom. So do I, said the second sister. So do I, said the third. They all started coming down the aisle. I've got it, Anne said. Percy, take my hand. What? 
you are the one they want turn invisible and go up the aisle let them pass you maybe you can get to the front and get away but you guys there is an outside chance they might not notice us you are son of one of the big three your smell might be overpowering and beth said i just can't leave you don't forget about us grover said go my hands trembled i felt like a coward but i took the yankee scan and put it on when i looked down my body wasn't there anymore I started creeping up the aisle. I managed to get up ten rows, then duck in an empty seat just as the Furies walked past. Mrs. Dodd stopped, sniffing and looked straight at me. My heart was pounding. Apparently, she didn't see anything. She and her sisters kept going. I was free. I made it to the front of the bus. We were almost through the Lincoln Tunnel now. I was about to press the emergency stop button when I heard hideous wailing from the back row. The old ladies were not old ladies anymore. Their faces were still the same. I guess those couldn't get any uglier. But their bodies had shriveled into leathery brown hag bodies with bat wings and hands and feet like gargoyle claws. The handbags had turned like into fiery whips. The fiery surrounded Grover and Annabeth, lashing their whips, hissing, "Where is it? Where?" The other people on the bus were screaming, cowering in their seats. They saw something all right. "He's not here!" Annabeth yelled. "He's gone!" The furies raised their whips and they drew her blunt sword. Grover grabbed a tin can from his snack bag and prepared to throw it. What I did next was so impulsive and dangerous I should have been named ADHD poster child of the year. The bus driver was distracted trying to see what was going on in his rearview mirror. Still invisible, I grabbed the wheel from him and jerked it to the left. Everybody howled as they were thrown to the right, and I heard what I hoped was the sound of three furies smashing against the windows. "Hey!" the driver yelled. "Hey, hey! Whoa, whoa, whoa!" We wrestled for the wheel. The bus slammed against the side of the tunnel, grinding metal, throwing sparks a mile behind us. We careened out of the Lincoln Tunnel and back into the rainstorm. People and monsters tossed around the bus. Cars plowed aside like bowling pins. Somehow the driver found an exit. We shot off the highway through half a dozen traffic lights and ended up barreling down one of those New Jersey rural roads where you can't believe there's so much nothing right across the river from New York. There were woods to our left and Hudson River to our right, and the driver seemed to be veering towards the river. Another great idea! I hit the emergency brake. The bus wheeled, spun a full circle on the wet asphalt, and crashed into the trees. The emergency lights came on. The door flew open. The bus driver was the first one out. The passengers yelling as they stampeded after him. I stepped. I stepped into the driver's seat and let them pass. The furies regained their balance. They lashed their whips and Annabeth while she waved her knife and yelled in ancient Greek, telling them to back off. Grabbed three tin cans. I looked at the open doorway. I was free to go, but I couldn't leave my friends. I took off the invisible cap. Hey! I yelled. The furies turned, waving their yellow fangs at me, and the exit suddenly seemed like an excellent idea. Mrs. Dodd stalked at. up at the aisle just as she used to do in class about to deliver my f minus math test every time she flicked her whip red flames danced along the barbed leather her two ugly sisters hopped on top of the seats on either side of her and crawled towards me like huge nasty lizards percy's jackson mrs dot said in an accent that was definitely from somewhere farther south than georgia he have offended the gods you shall die I like to better that as a math teacher, I told her. She growled. Annabeth and Grover moved up behind the furies cautiously, looking for an opening. I took the ballpoint pen out of my pocket and uncapped it. Ripped that elongated into a shimmering double-edged sword. The furies hesitated. 
Mrs. Dodge had felt Riptide's blade before. She obviously didn't like seeing it again. Submit now, she hissed, and you will not suffer eternal torment. Let's try, I told her. Percy, look out! Annabeth cried. Mrs. Dodge lashed her web around my sword hand while the furies on the other side lunged at me. My hand felt like it was wrapped in molds and lead, but I managed not to drop Riptide. I stuck the fury on the left with its hilt, sending her toppling backward into a seed. I turned and sliced fury on the right. As soon as the blade connected with her neck, she screamed and exploded into dust. Ambed got Mrs. Dodds in a wrestle in a wrestler hold and yanked her backward while Grubber ripped the whip out of her hands. Ow! she yelled, hot, 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 hot. He yelled. The fury I did hit slammed, came at me again, talons ready, but I swung Riptide and she broke open like a pinata. Mrs. Dodds was trying to get Annabeth off her back. She kicked, clawed, hissed, and bit, but Annabeth held on while Grover got Mrs. Dodds' leg tied up in her own web. Finally, they both shoved her backward into the aisle. Mrs. Dodds tried to get up, but she didn't have room to flap her wings, so she kept falling down. Zeus will destroy you, she promised. Hades will have your soul. Rikas Mears Vesemini, I yelled. I wasn't sure where the Latin came from. I think it meant, eat my pants. Thunder shook the bus. The hair rose on the back of my neck. Get out! Annabeth yelled at me. Now! I didn't need any encouragement. We rushed outside and found the other passengers wandering around in a daze, arguing with the driver or running around in circles, yelling, We are going to die. A wine shirted tourist with a camera snapped to my photograph before I could recap my sword. Our bags, driver yelled. We left our... Boom! The windows of the bus exploded as the passengers ran for cover. Lightning shredded a huge crater in the roof, but an angry wheel from inside told me Mrs. Dodds was not yet dead. Run, Annabeth said. She's calling for reinforcement. We have to get out of here. We plunged into the woods as the rain poured down, the bus in flames behind us, and nothing but darkness ahead. And that was it for the 10th chapter of the book 1. And I hope you liked it. If you like it, please share with your friends. And stay tuned for the next episode. Thank you. Have a great day. Bye-bye.